All right. Okay. We're we're so spread out. Um, this microphone is going to be for some of you to be able to ask questions. So I'm going to put it on this table here. So it's not it's not on. It's off. But if if in a little while, let people do that. Um, does everyone who needs one have this this notebook? You and you and someone who you're with. And do you have two pages inside so that it's front and back? So on the inside, you should have something that looks like this, Wednesday evening study. And you flip it over, it should be an outline for tonight's class, a notes page, and then homework. Because you want, Daryl, you don't have that. Is that what you're raising your hand? It's over here on the blue corner, unless we're out. Are we close? Hey, Anna. Um, there's, there are a couple left. We might have to build that one. Super. So does everyone have one? We can, <clears throat> we can make more, and if, we, if you need to share some tonight, share some tonight. So let me <clears throat> begin by saying a brief prayer, and then tonight's whole class is to tell you why we, why we are here and to talk about what kind of experience that you've signed up for. And some of you might vote with your feet not to sign up for this experience, uh, because uh, this is going to be the most uh, teaching that will happen the whole time will happen tonight, and I'm not going to teach very much tonight. Uh, it's very much a group learning project. So let me pray, and then we'll dive in together. <clears throat> Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son for us. Thank you for rescuing us from all that we would have lost apart from your costly sending of your son for us. We pray that uh, you would help us. Uh, we ask in Jesus' name that through the help of the Holy Spirit, you would enable us to understand your word, your revealed will for ourselves, and especially for those around us who are, have unique uh, types of poverty. We pray that we would have a heart like our Savior for you, for one another, and for the poor. Uh, would you bless us this way? Help us tonight uh, feel like we know what the plan is for the, this 10-week uh, class. And I pray that those uh, who really ought to be here learning together would uh, be convinced tonight by you uh, that you're doing important work in our lives together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to read you two quick passages, and then we're going to look at our, our notebook together to get, to get oriented the first one is Psalm 68. If you go back to January of 21, a year ago, our, our memory verse for our church for Epiphany was Psalm 68, 4 through 6. And so here's all, all I want you to ask yourself as I read this is, what is God like? And there's lots of passages that answer that question. Lots and lots of passages because God is making himself known in his creation, in his word, in our consciences, and as, uh, chiefly through his son. But here's, here's one answer to what God is like. Psalm 68, 4 through 6. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is Yah. Actually, English translations always say his name is the Lord. Behind the Lord, Lord in all caps is typically Yahweh. But in Psalm 68, verse 4, it's actually, um, 
Yah, which is like a very intimate way to abbreviate someone's name. Y'all, most of you think my name is Robbie. Actually, my name's Robert, but I really like it if you call me Robbie, because if you call me Robbie, that's a little less formal. That means you actually know me. And if you send me an email and you spell my name R-O-B-B-Y, then you really know me because I don't spell my name I-E. So anyway, when the psalmist is praising God and calling God Yah, that's the note of intimacy. I do know God's very holy name that he gave to his people, but I can even uh, call Yahweh Yah, as in, the, as in the imperative, hallelujah. That's hallelujah, praise Yahweh. Okay, so Psalm 68, sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is Yah, exalt before him. What's he like? Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Okay, he settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Here's the part I want to focus on just for like 30 seconds. This is what God is like, a father to the fatherless, uh, one who settles the solitary in a home, one who looks after widows and the fatherless. This is what God is like in his holy habitation. Here's what the psalmist is saying. When God is... uh, in the heavens, on his throne, he's not different than he is in his public life. God moves through his people and takes care of widows and orphans. That's who he really is. That's what Psalm 68 is saying. This is who God is in his holy habitation. So when God is, God's always fully God. He's never less than fully God. But what the psalmist is here is saying is, uh, when God's at home and his feet are up on his footstool, all right, this is what the heart of God is like. He's a God for the fatherless and the widow. So that's important. That's who God is. That's why this next verse is true. What's God like? He's a God who cares for the widow, for the orphan, for the homeless, for those who have great need. So this is why Proverbs 14, uh, 31 is so interesting for you and me. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. So God is a God who cares for the fatherless, for the widow, for the sojourner, for the poor. And if you relate to people in those situations well, it honors God. And if we mistreat people in the situations, if we treat them poorly, it dishonors God. You see the connection there? There's a deep connection between what God is like and how we relate to people that he perpetually cares for. So those are some of the scriptures that we'll be reading together uh, during this class. So um, you'll be reading a lot of scriptures that say very parallel things to that. So let's flip your sheet open now. And here's what I want you to do. My whole goal tonight is to just give you a, a taste of what this class is going to be like, what we're going to do together, and talk about the, the two groups that are here, all right? So first of all, uh, this class is a live working group project. This is the most passive you're going to be for the next 10 weeks tonight. And after tonight, you're going to be way more active because you're going to come next week prepared to, pres- to present, to speak, uh, and to share. Um, there are two groups present, okay? So the, the deacons who are currently ordained and serving as deacons, they know this is their deacon training for 2022. So uh, they know that a lot, they're, they're 
they're largely here tonight. They know I expect them to be here. And it's really important to me as one of the pastors of this church to invest in the diaconate. Uh, King Jesus has given his church a couple of offices. And if I do it in the simplest form, there are offices that are about shepherding people and there are offices about caring for the poor. That tells you a lot about the king's priorities for his church. Jesus really wants his bride treated really well and cared for and shepherded well. And Jesus clearly cares about the poor because the office of deacon is essentially an office of mercy ministry. That's essentially what it is. And so we're going to see that um, as we go through together. So one group that will be here with us on Wednesday night are the actual deacons ordained and installed, one to be ordained and installed January 23rd? can't remember. Soon, this month, uh, we'll, we'll install some new ones and ordain one new one, um, the 23rd. I think pretty sure January 23rd. Okay, but there's another group here. If you look around, you realize, oh, not everyone here is in, in this room is a deacon. That's great news. So this class is for the whole church. Anyone who's a member of Covenant Press is, is here, and I hope none of you go away, and I hope you bring more friends next week. And I'm dead serious. Um, I, I'm, I, if, if we, the plan is to go to room 301. We're in here tonight. Sorry for that switch. So we could record. We know a lot of people have COVID and if you don't have COVID, your kid does, and someone's quarantining. Um, and so we want to record tonight, and uh, we'll probably record next week too, and then see if things get more normal. But I would be thrilled if we can't go to room 301. So if you will all, right now, write down one person you can invite to this class. Think about it. You have five seconds. <laughs> Who can you invite to come to this class with you? Write their name down and invite them in the next 24 hours. Okay, there's your first homework assignment. Okay, now if you're not coming back, don't do that. <laughs> if you're not coming back, you have to invite two people, one to replace you and then the person that, um, okay. So, so it's, it's thrilling to have everyone in this room who is not a deacon and I'm super thrilled by that. And I'm, I'm, we're Josh and I, Josh Johnson and I are primarily teaching this class next week. Lord willing, I'm going to be in Honduras with uh, Chrissy and Ashley. And um, if Chrissy's health gets to where it needs to be, and, um, and Josh Johnson will be out of town. So John Fountain is teaching next week. But after that, it's Josh and me. Okay, um, that's the two groups. Second bullet point under A, we'll have homework every week. So just now, flip on the back side of the notes page. And this is, the, <laughs> this is one of the complicated things we'll talk about tonight, okay? So let me, let me work you through it. <clears throat> A third of the class between tonight and next week will read all the passages lift, listed here under the law. Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus. A third of the class will be responsible to focus on three classes from the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah. And a third of the class will choose wisdom literature. We just read one of them, Psalm 68, 4 through 6, also Psalm 146, and then two Proverbs, okay? So, you will tonight, in just a minute, you're gonna, we're gonna do it by hand. Who wants to be in the law? Whoop, a third of you, prophets, third of you, third of you, wisdom. Look on the second column to the right. Everyone will read these, all, these other passages as well. So everybody will read Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 15. That's your homework for next week. Everyone will read Isaiah 58, 1 through 11. And everyone will read Proverbs 14, 31. Okay? So look at these passages for a minute. And right now, decide which third you want to be in, okay? And then, as you're thinking about that, next week when you come back, 
when we begin class, we'll break up into these thirds. And what you'll do is you'll say, here's what I got out of reading all three passages. And here's what I got out of reading the section that we as a group read. So all the people who read the, the, the Pentateuch or the law will sit together and you'll spend 10, 15 minutes just telling each other, what did you read? What did you learn? What impact did it have on you? You'll, and you'll appoint a, spark, a spokesperson and that person will go get up and tell everybody the main takeaways from what you studied. Does that make sense? So whichever third you pick, you'll be in that group next week and then you'll, you'll make a report as a group to the class. And we'll, so we're all gonna learn together. So are you ready? Now I'm gonna give you 120 seconds, two whole minutes, and you decide which group you want, which third you wanna be in. And then uh, we'll, we'll do signups, okay? You got two minutes. And of course, everyone's welcome to read everything, but you're responsible to be in one group, okay? You can't go to all three groups next week. <laughs> you can read all the passages, Yes, Kurt. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the following weeks, yeah, but you know, we will we'll name these groups because there are thirds and there are thirds. It won't be the same sections. Um, once you get in, once you get in the, if you're in the law group after tonight then you'll be in the first group for the next week and the first group for the next group, but it won't be the law again. It'll be the gospels and it'll be other things. So we'll call these groups one group one, two, and three. Thank you, Kurt. That's a process question. Clearly I need that kind of help. <clears throat> All right, you got, you got 30 more seconds to pit, decide which group you want to be in. Okay, 10 seconds. And just remember, no matter which group you're in, you can read all of this, and there's a lot more to read, but, um, but you're going to make a choice. Okay, group one, okay, we can write a one up there, is that we'll be reading the law. Raise your hand if you want to be in group one. That's about a third. I like that. Okay, so just, I'm not keeping up with it. You keep up with it. That felt like a third to me. So if you raised your hand just then, you're in group one, and you'll be in group one the next three weeks. Okay, it's going to get more complicated, but that's it. So you're in group one the next three weeks where we're going through the whole Bible. Okay, raise your hand if you want to do group two, which is reading the prophets. That's probably close to a third. The last group might be small, but okay, good. Y'all are, y'all are group two. The ones you, if you just raise your hand, write it down, you're in group two and you'll be in group two whoop, for a little while. Okay, all right, raise your hand if you want to be in group three. Let's see if we have enough. Oh, that's always oh, great. Super. That's the biggest group. I thought you were going to be smallest. Okay, great. So group three, you're the biggest group in wisdom literature. They thought the passes were shorter. That's what happened there. I see what's going on. <clears throat> they are a little shorter. <laughs> okay. Raise your hand. Now you know it. You're in group one or two or three. Everybody know what group you're in? Okay. All right. Now raise your hand if, if you have to read your group's passages and the three passages on the, on the right side of the thing. Raise your hand if you have to read both things. Everyone reads both, right? You have to read your group's passages and you read all three. You're welcome to read everything, obviously. Okay, super duper. So that's done, all right? And so um, the passages are already picked for the following week. So you'll get it as homework next week. And so basically there's, there's passages in the following week, passages from the gospels, 
passages from Acts and passages from Paul's letters to churches, which is 10 of the 13 letters. The following week is Paul's pastoral epistles and then Hebrew and James and I think 1 John. And so that's what, that's what happens. We don't cover every single book. We cover a lot. And so, but you're, if you're in group one, you're going to stay. Whatever group one is, you'll get it. Group two, you'll stay. Group three, you'll stay. Everybody got it? So it's the, be, the more time you spend meditating on the passages you just chose, the better, the more rich your time will be next week. The first 15 minutes when you're just telling each other what you saw, what you learned, how it impacted you, and then, and then your spokesperson representing you, okay? And that's basically what's going to happen next week. John Fountain, after hearing all three groups report, will get up and give a summary of what he heard everyone say and then give a little you know, seminary grads, we always have to correct something. So then he'll come, you know, and do that. Okay. Make fun of stuff. Okay. Um, and then here's the most complicated thing. Okay. So just remember for Bible reading, you're in group one or two or three, and now we're going to create four groups and these are not the same groups. Very complicated. Okay. But this right here, what I'm about to explain to you is very, very important. Okay. You're in one of three groups for Bible reading. Learn. We just want to know what God says. I mean, really, if we're going to think about poverty alleviation, what's more important than what God says, <laughs> right? That's it. That's our plumb line. What does God say? Okay, that's group one, two, or three. But now we're going to create four other groups, okay? So let me explain those, okay? And you can actually think about this and pray about this week. I would love for you to just tell me what group you're going to be in by next week, even though I won't be here. So you can tell John Fountain. We'll figure that out. Okay. Let me tell about the four groups. Okay. So I want one fourth of the members of this class to do a deep dive into pockets of poverty in Birmingham. Okay. Um, If there's someone here who lives in Homewood and you really, really, really want to focus on a pocket of poverty in Homewood, come tell me that and I might say yes to that. Um, And if you live in Vestavia and you are keenly interested in a pocket of poverty in Vestavia, that's acceptable, but you'll be like these alternative groups that aren't in one of these four, okay? So um, what I really want is roughly a fourth of you in this class to say, we are going to be learners about Birmingham. What is true? So we're going to do research. We're going to go talk to experts. Josh and I will help you connect you to those people. You might, already, you might already know them. I met with Tracy Hips today. He's willing to help us get connected with certain people. Um, and so the kind of things that we want you to, if you're in this group and you're going to, as a learner into Birmingham, just to learn what is true, the kind of questions that we want you to be finding out what is true about are things like public health. What, just what are the facts? Right? What do people who have left resources, what, what's true about public health for them? Okay. Um, the other one is just educational reality. Um, and so we've got good, I already have good friends in Birmingham that can give you some good insight on that, but we want you to go talk to the people who know the most about educational realities in Birmingham. So what is true? One example, Dalton Smith, who runs Empower, who's become a friend of mine, they, uh, work with a lot of people from Birmingham City Schools who are trying to get GEDs. And he says, most of the adults they meet 
are reading at fifth or sixth grade level, and most of them are, these are adults who went through the systems, they dropped out whenever they did, or they graduated, and most of them are doing math at a third grade level. So that's the kind of information we want to hear. We just want to know what's true. And the last one will be about wealth disparity and asset disparity, okay? And so um, if you have a financial background, you're a great person to be be doing that. Um, So... Does that make sense? That's, that's one group is just doing real research, talking to actual experts, looking at real studies. And just like you're going to read the Bible and come and report, it's one of our weeks together, the group that's figuring out what is true about poverty in Birmingham, you'll work together and you'll come and give the whole class a, a really important report. Does that make sense? So we want one fourth of the class to be in that. And so once you get together, you'll, you'll, get, you'll get a leader and y'all might divide and conquer. It'll be more efficient if some people focus on education, some on finances, some on health, et cetera. But you'll do it as a team. Make sense? Any questions about that group? Awesome. You're just learning what's true. Okay. Uh, secondly, um, getting to know Urban Hope's model. How, is there anyone in this room who's already in the um, manifold group? Manifold people, raise your hand real high, manifold people. Awesome. Okay, so if you manifold people want to, to do this, you, can, you don't have to do that. You may say, I already know their model. Um, but at least if one or two of the manifold people will help lead this group, that'd be very helpful, but you don't have to. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> um, but basically what this group will do, one-fourth of this class, we want you to know, and look at the letters here about that, the Urban Hope Community Church and Urban Hope community development, okay? Why are they planting a church and why is there a community development center in partnership with the church? Why both? And, and why does Alton have a plan to plant churches in other pockets of poverty in Birmingham? And why are they talking to us and Empower about putting community development centers in tandem with those churches? So what's their model? So if you're in this group, you're, 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 gonna, you're still doing a deep dive You're asking them to tell you what their model is, explain it to you. Why is it this way? Why does that matter? How's it working? And so that group's going to come back and report to us what their model is, what they say it is, what they actually do, and the impact that it's having. Does that make sense? Any questions about that? That's group two, not Bible two, but (laughs) uh, group learning two. Okay, Uh, group three. Here's the weirdest one but maybe the one I'm the most excited about, okay? So this is social impact projects um, via work, et cetera. So, and this doesn't need to be a fourth of the class. This might be four people. Uh, Dave Gray is gonna be here. He's super excited about this one. He can't be here tonight, but he'll be here in the future. Um, Basically, what I would love for some people to do in terms of your own skill set or, or profession is to say, if God wants his people to care about the poor, how might I bend what I do professionally to help the poor in ways that are, that are very significant and transformative? Okay, let me tell you why number three is so important, okay? How many of you think the government has done a bang up, excellent job of alleviating poverty in the last 70 years in North America. Raise your hand if you think the government's done an outstanding job of moving, transforming people from poverty out of poverty. I'm so surprised. 
that people at Covenant Prison Church don't think the government's doing a great job. I'm utterly shocked. Well, we know the government's not doing an excellent job, okay? Because the government typically throws money at symptoms and ignores causes, okay? Well, I've done some research, okay? And this is about 10 years old, but for uh, some large, like Brookings Institute and Duke University and a couple other groups, independently of each other, looked at church benevolence in addressing issues of poverty for 50 years. Churches, right? With all the wisdom that we have from God and his word, churches addressing poverty. Guess what percent of church giving to, to address poverty, guess what percent has gone to symptoms versus causes? Guess what percentage goes to symptoms? 99. 99% of what churches have done to tackle poverty is deal with symptoms. And, it's, and, and that, and by the way, I'm not saying we shouldn't give cold people a coat. That's actually really important. I'm not saying don't give hungry people food. That's actually important. But if you never address the symptoms that lead to those causes, that's unwise. Does that make sense? And so if you're in three, part of what you're doing is you're thinking about the deep causes of poverty and you're also thinking about who you are and what you do, the kind of business that you own, the kind of work that you do, and you're asking yourself, how can I include, a, a, here's a, here'd be a concrete example. I'm gonna look at my business and I'm gonna talk to my HR people. I'm gonna talk to my insurance people, my benefits people, all those people, and I'm gonna go to Love Lady. I'm gonna figure out how we can hire two people from Love Lady every year for the next five years. And I'm, that's gonna, I'm gonna take that project to my business. And then, so if I'm doing that, if I'm saying, oh, I want to hire people coming out of prison, out of any form of incarceration or out of addiction recovery or out of whatever, if I'm looking at that, and I, I, what the, the benefit of doing that in this class is, I might be sitting at a table with four people and we're all making those decisions and we can encourage each other and pray for each other and help each other figure out how to do it well. Does that make sense? So those people will not all be doing the same project. They'll be doing similar work and encouraging each other. Does that make sense? Is anyone really confused by number three? Y'all are awesome. Okay, great. So, so if you're interested in that, let, here's another example if you're interested in that. Let's say you don't own your own business, but your world is financial. Your world is capital. And you're thinking, hey, I actually, I want to figure out a way to work with people who regularly make investments and expect to get X, I'm going to galvanize some givers who expect X and I'm going to encourage them to expect X minus 12. They're still going to get a return, but I want them to commit to getting a smaller return because what they're going to do is they're going to, they're going to work with Emily and they're going to help people, poor people who are renting, getting to home ownership. And so that's going to greatly change how they live their lives. So think about that too. So be really creative. Um, and if you're, if you're someone who owns a business and you, you wish you had this much more capital to make some kind of hires like that, then get in the group and tell people that's what you're looking for. Okay, so that will be a highly dynamic, highly creative group. And they all might be doing individual things that don't overlap or they may end up doing things that where they actually overlap with each other. Okay, so all right. And then the fourth thing is this, okay? Um, we did a lot of training with the deacons this past year. And at the end of 2021, 
um, Stephen Mintz, hey Stephen, <laughs> and Gary Gorham and the leadership of the deacons with Marty Me, we decided that what we would do with the diaconate is have a new wrinkle, a new portion of the diaconate. So we have, we have a finance chair, John Shank, bang up, does a fantastic bang up job. We have different committees, chairs inside the diaconate. And we said, what we want is, um, we want there to be a aspect of the diaconate and, and the, the, the whole goal of their existence as a team of deacons is to lead our church into doing mercy ministry among the poor outside of our church, just external ministry. Um, is that, will that overlap a lot with our local ministry? Absolutely. But we're thinking ex- explicitly about poverty alleviation work being done by a church, being led by deacons. So does that mean we'll partner with, or with Urban Hope? Of course we will. And with CSM, Tracy Hips, of course we will, and other groups. But this, these will be deacons who are committed to learning how churches like ours can actually do poverty ministry in the name of Jesus, empowered by the gospel, that's actually powerful and transformative for the long haul, aimed at symptoms, not at causes, okay? So three people are meeting with me on January 25th, I think. Um, there are, so three deacons are already saying, I want to be part of that new team, okay? So there's root, that's a diaconal team, so it doesn't have to be a team of deacons only. So anyone in this room could work with those deacons on that, on that project. And so if you want to say, I'm not doing one, two, or three, if, if you're thinking I want to be in four, what that means is you'd be working with some currently ordained deacons, figuring out how will Covenant Presbyterian Church relate to people wrestling with poverty outside of our body in the pockets of poverty where it's the worst. So you'll be like an architect thinking through how our church will tackle that. Does that make sense? Everybody, everybody get that? Okay, so I'm super excited about that. And, uh, and if, you're, if you're a uh, creative thinker or a detailed thinker or a process person, um, uh, along with sort of gifts of mercy and compassion, that you'd be a great fit for that team. Because a big thing they're going to do is create policies and structures so that we do really good and wise things. Not A, a lot of churches, um, po- what policies and structures means are ways we say no before you show up. So th- this is less oriented to how do we handle people who come to us asking us to pay a power bill. This is very different. This is how do we move toward people. We know where they live. We know what the struggle is, and we're moving toward them where they are, not waiting for them to call us and trying to figure out if we're going to pay this bill or pay that bill. I mean, that's just exhausting. Um, and you need policies for those kind of things. But this is not a defensive structure and policy, but like a plan to move uh, toward problems to deal with symptoms rather than causes. Does that make sense? Everybody tracking? Super duper duper. Okay. Um, any questions about, I'm in, I'm in one of three groups to study the Bible. And I'm one of four groups to do practical things. Everybody get that? All right, super. So just let me promote like an evangelist the genius of this plan. Nine weeks from now, 10 weeks from now, everyone in this room should understand what the Bible says much more, right, about poverty. God's heart for the poor and what he, how he wants his people to think about relating to people who have material poverty, et cetera. And you should have a, a, a way keener awareness of practical solutions 
Um, and so, some, so the prayer is that working together, that creates our, our sense of wisdom, connectedness, and commitment to do what God's called us to do. Okay? That's the goal. All right, super. Glad you're here. So if you love to study the Bible, you're going to love the next month. If you, if you love to see practical things get done, you're going to love uh, the whole thing. Um, and I'm glad you're here. Now, if all that just overwhelmed you and you don't come back next week, here's, it's not going to bother me at all. I won't be here. I'll be in Honduras, so it's going to be fine. Um, and then two weeks after that, I won't remember who was here the first night anyway. So unless you're a deacon, you don't have to come back. So, hey, de- deacons, I'm so glad you're here tonight. Um, all right, so let's look at, look at B and C for a minute, okay? Um, tonight, I am not teaching you foundations of a biblical theology of poverty. So here, here's a stack of books. So if you're a digger and you want to read some of the best books about poverty, some of these are giveaways. I have them and I buy extra copies to give to people. Um, some of these are my own copies of books. So if you are like, yeah, okay, we're going to buy a little bit, but I, I want to go, I want to read like the people with PhDs who are writing about this, who also love Jesus. Here you go, stack of books. Come tonight, I'm going to give you one. Okay, and if you want me to give make you ten other suggestions of book to read on this, to read on this, I'm happy to do it. Um, it's and so that stack, come grab whatever you want. Oh, one other thing. Where? Let me see this. Thank you. Oh, y'all have got some. Thank you. All right. How many of you in this room have never read this devotional by Amy Sherman, Sharing God's Heart for the Poor? Okay. Did, did, did a lot of you grab one? If you grabbed one and you already have one because you're a deacon or WST, give it up. Um, but if you ra- raise your hand, if you, do you have one already? You do? Sorry. I should have made this. I meant to mention this at the beginning. Okay. Raise your hand if you don't have one and you want one. Because we, we're going to order these. We love to buy these. When you buy these from Amy Sherman, all the proceeds go to the awesome things that she's doing south of the border. So raise your hand if you still need one of these. You want sharing God's heart for the poor. Anna, you got one. Anybody else need one? Rebecca needs one. Um, okay. Um, so on top of your homework, <laughs> if you've never read Amy Sherman's Sharing God's Heart for the Poor, these are like four-minute devotionals, five minutes the longest and so what I would encourage you to do is look at, um, maybe wait till we've done the Bible stuff and then start it after that. Um, but the, the best way to go through this devotional is to do it 18 days in a row. But you do it however you want. I would just say, if you've never done this before, start it soon and finish it before the end of the, the last class, okay? So... Um, and is there anyone who doesn't have one now who wants one? Because, I mean, we, we order these all the time. So anyone else still need one? Okay. We're going we're gonna to buy 30 more no matter what, and we'll give them away. Okay, super. Um, all right. Um, four key relationships. So one of my good friends and one of the best thinkers on the world uh, wrote this book, When Helping Hurts. Um, Brian Ficker, also with Steve Corbett, two of the largest men who I've ever had lunch with, okay? Brian Ficker is 6'10 and enormous, and Steve Corbett is maybe 6'5, but his hands are roughly the size of this, these tables. It's, am I right, Si? It's just ridiculous. Um, he's just an enormous human being. Um, but they wrote this great book about 
the church, the gospel, the church, the whole story of the Bible through creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, and how God's people are called to relate to people with various forms of poverty, okay? So this is the old version of the book. No, it's expanded edition. This one has a lot of writing in it. You're welcome to have it. There's other copies of it. Um, yeah, that's it. So um, one, of the, one of my favorite things that happens in the book when helping hurts is they start in creation and they show you from Genesis 1 and 2 that we're all created to be in four key relationships. So I'm not going to prove it to you and walk you through it because actually it's very intuitively obvious. Um, but if you want to read about it, it's excellent stuff and we can talk about it. So basically you're created for a relationship with God. You're created to have a relationship with yourself. How, how many people in this room do self-talk? Anyone do self-talk? Has anyone ever wished their self-talk would get sanctified? Okay, so you have a relationship with yourself. You have a relationship with God, yourself. You have a relationship with others, and you have a relationship with the whole creation. And this is what you, this is what it means to have a holistic life, right? And so, in the West, we've tip, typically separated my relationship with God from everything else. We've individualized and privatized spirituality over here. Big solid wall between God, spirituality, religion, and the rest of life is over here, and we need to keep those separate or bad things happen. Um, and some bad things happened in Europe for a few hundred years because those things got uh, mixed in the wrong ways. When, when religious people have a lot of power, they don't always tend to use it the way Jesus did. And it creates a lot of problems. Um, so anyway, but the answer to uh, whatever, God, whatever power and wealth and wisdom and privileges God has given you, the answer is not to separate them from Christ's lordship. The, uh, the answer is to receive them as gifts and then use them for his glory and your neighbor's good, to love God and love your neighbor with whatever he's given you. So anyway, four key relationships. Um, so at creation, that's what we're created for. Based on human rebellion, based on the fall, all those relationships are broken, right? So your relationship with God is broken. Your relationship with yourself is broken. Your relationship with others is broken. And your relationship with the creation is broken. And one way to experience that relationship with creation being broken is our relationship with work itself is broken, right? So you might realize that, you know, you have to call a plumber more often than you want to because the world doesn't work the way you want it to work. Uh, but also your work life is full of frustration and exhaustion, right? And so our relationship with God, self, others you don't ever, ever convince anyone that our relationship with, our, with others is broken, right? Like being in a relationship for five minutes and you know that your relationship with others is broken. Um, but relationship with creation means that God created us to cultivate his good creation and make the whole creation like the garden, a beautiful and glorious place where people flourish. That's what it means to be human. And our relationship with the whole project is broken and messy, okay? So that's because of the fall. So you're created for a relationship with God, yourself, others, creation. Through the fall, all those relationships are broken, right? Through redemption, all those relationships are healed, are being healed, and in the new heavens, new earth, the whole, the totality of all that is brought to perfection. Does that make sense? That's a very quick summary. Is that everybody, everybody got that? So I'm not teaching it. We're just assuming it, running right by it, okay? But here's what is important when we talk about poverty alleviation for a minute. Because of those four key relationships, Raise your hand if you've ever met someone with material poverty, but unbelievable spiritual wealth. Okay, so this class, we're focused on 
people experiencing material poverty because all of our relationships with the creation are broken. And so some people are being crushed by material poverty for all kinds of reasons. But we're not ignoring that they're created for for a relationship with God, themselves, and others, right? And we're not ignoring that fact about ourselves. Does that make sense? So when we address issues of material poverty, we're not assuming that if they had more stuff, they'd be better, because actually they might be thriving spiritually now, and but not thriving materially. And they might be thriving in no ways. And if we help them become millionaires that never meet God, that we didn't do anything for them. Does that make sense? So we're thinking holistically because this is God's world. Does that make sense? We want our thinking and practices to be integrated because this is God's world, right? And so to know God, to love God, is to walk with God in the actual body he gave us in the actual world that he made that we're participating in. Does that make sense? So, so it's important to think about those different types of poverty. So there's, therefore, there's spiritual poverty. There's emotional and psychological poverty. There's social poverty. And there's material poverty, okay? Clearly, spiritual poverty is the worst form of poverty. Clearly. But they all matter. Does that make sense? So when we focus on material poverty of people, it's not because God cares more about stuff than he does about souls, it's just that you actually can't pull all that stuff apart because we're, em- we're embodied people made with heart, soul, mind, and strength to live for the Lord. And so are our neighbors. Does that make sense? We're all tracking? All right, super. <clears throat> um, uh, so here, here's, one reason, here's one reason that's important. So key words for the night, okay? Key, two key words for the night. Uh, one is paternalism, Okay. And the other is patronizing, all right? Who here likes it when you're working in your area of expertise and someone with less expertise comes and gives you some really good advice about how to do the thing that you do every day? Raise your hand if you like that. Okay. Um, One thing that can happen when a church that has a lot of resources gets convicted and then motivated to serve the poor, here's something that really bad can happen. We, who have a lot of resources, because of that conviction and that motivation, can go serve the poor, and the end result of that service is our pride goes up and their shame goes up. We become more proud that we have the answers and we help those poor people. They feel increasingly shamed by the interaction because we ha- we're the haves, they're the have-nots. And the interaction is dehumanizing. And actually, both people are dehumanized. I begin to think of myself as a have person and them as a have-not person, and that's reductionistic. Does that make sense? Okay, so paternalism is when I act like I'm your daddy and I'm not. Patronizing is when I treat you like there's you you don't have any hope unless I fix it for you. Right? I patronize you. You can't really do this. Let me tell you how to do it. Let me show you again. I'm gonna do this for you. I'll take that. Right? So that's what we want to avoid, right? We um if we actually want to um 
serve people who are experiencing material poverty in the name of Jesus because we love God and God loves them, right? The last thing we want to do is increase our shame and increase their, sorry, increase our pride and increase their shame, right? It's not fruitful. Um, so that's one reason just think about the four key relationships really matter, right? Um, the whole, the whole list, the whole picture there. Um, all right, super. Now I'm going to move to C. And once again, I'm just going to like whoop, spit it out. Uh, not because uh, you're going to, if you don't believe these things already, what we read in the Bible together in the coming weeks will, will prove this to you. Okay. So causes of poverty, don't look at the sheet of paper. Okay. Just, you don't have to write it down or say it out loud. Just um, in your own head, say the main reasons you've been taught people are poor, the main reasons you believe people are poor, and write those down on the tablet of your mind. You can write it on paper if you want to. Don't answer. It's a rhetorical question. Uh, just think for a minute. When, when, if you drove with your grandparents through a certain part of town where people weren't flourishing, what were the implicit messages about why people live in this part of the town and why people live in that part of the town? Uh, how were you, why were you taught people, if people are poor, it's because X. So just get those answers that you've been told in your mind, okay? And if you want to share them, you don't have to say they're your own answers, but, but w- what were you taught? Why, why are people poor? They're dumb. Can't get their act together. Yeah, what else? Why are people poor? They're lazy. Yeah, what else? Bad choices, yep. All of these are individual responsibility answers, right? Individuals are responsible for their lives, and this, this guy's too dumb to figure it out. It, we're all individually responsible for flourishing, and he's lazy. She's lazy. Um, we're all individually responsible for how our life goes, and we've made bad choices, right? All of those are answers that we commonly hear, right? And they're all, they all center on the responsibility of the individual, right? Are those messages actually, on their own terms, biblical messages? They are biblical messages. They're just not the whole. They are biblical messages. People, there's a lot of Proverbs that say, people will walk on paths that lead them in the snares and it's unwise. And there are a lot of Proverbs about laziness, Right? There are a lot of proverbs about um, being a fool versus being wise, which is not the same thing as being dumb. Um, so, the, so Anna, you're right that these aren't fully biblical messages, but the, you can find Bible verses here and there, even in context, that do say your choices matter, wisdom matters, and it's way better to be hardworking than to be lazy. Those are all biblical answers, okay? What percentage do you think that is of what the Bible does when it addresses issues of poverty? Is that like 90% of what the Bible says about it? Or what do you think? The, the personal individual responsibility aspect of poverty, what percent of that is, is a biblical message? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know the exact percentage. It's way less than 50% what the Bible says. It's, it's, one, it's one of the three big buckets. It's just not the most frequent bucket of the, of the three big buckets. Okay, I love my friend Brian Fickert, the 610 guy who helped write this book. And one reason I love him is he, he harps on these three things all the time. He has a PhD in economics from Yale. And here's what he says causes poverty. Individual sin, 
systems that are broken and oppressive and demonic activity. Now, does the Bible address all three of those? Absolutely it does. And the Bible talks a whole lot more about oppression by, by, by just counting verses and context. The Bible addresses oppression more often than it addresses individual responsibility. We're just Westerners. We read all of life through individual lenses. The Bible's not a Western book. And the Bible talks a lot about oppression, not just like what bad kings do and bad leaders do, but spiritual oppression. And if you spend any time um, in the global south, particularly the global south in Africa, you've bumped into demonic behavior that greatly impacts how people live in villages and what keeps people in poverty. So you don't have to have a PhD in economics from Yale to figure that out. You could read the Bible, but that's, that, that's, that's part of what the picture is, okay? So let's look at this seed down here. Wisdom literature emphasizes individual responsibility and oppression. It, it emphasizes both. When the wisdom literature is talking about what kings should do, kings should maintain righteousness and justice, which often means defend the cause of the poor. But the wisdom literature, especially if you're reading Proverbs, what you often get in Proverbs is, hey, buddy, quit acting like a nut. If you put your hand in the dish, bring it up to your mouth. If you leave it in the dish, that's laziness, and it, it won't nourish you. Right? There's a ton of Proverbs about individual responsibility, but there are also Psalms and Proverbs and other wisdom literature, even in prophetic literature, about how wise kings and others should lead. And, um, and it, essentially, you're supposed to be like God, which means to remember the poor. It's 708. Okay. Number two, prophetic literature emphasizes, what do you think? If you think about Isaiah, think about Jeremiah, whoo, um, think about Ezekiel, and think about the minor prophets. What do you think is mostly addressed in the prophetic literature of those three categories? Individual responsibility, systemic oppression, and demonic activity. What do you think is, is in there the most? Number two, absolutely. You can't read a prophet for two paragraphs and not run into this. It's all over. Read Amos. Here, if you want a side project in studying this, Amos is nine chapters long. Read it. Uh, here's a challenge. Read Amos, nine chapters, seven times between now and March 1st, and come and tell me if God and the prophets care about oppression. Of the poor among God's covenant people. Just read it. All through Isaiah, all through Amos, all through Micah, all through Zechariah, over, and all through Ezekiel. Whew, Ezekiel 16, blow you up. I mean, really uh, shocking language. All through Jeremiah, okay? So that's a major thing. Um, we live in places. I'm going to include our denomination here. And the neighborhoods where we live, and, and those spaces have said, um, where we live, systems are good. So if you're poor, it has to be an individual responsibility, okay? I'm not saying I believe that. I'm just saying that that's, that, that's in our water. Now, our systems here, where we live, a lot better than some some countries where, where systems are like overtly oppressive? Absolutely. Do we have our own histories that have been less than just and fair? Absolutely, right? So God cares about this deeply. And part of the time, like when you read Hosea, Hosea chapter one and two, when God's showing up and speaking through Hosea and telling Hosea to do some wild stuff, 
He's making reference to things that were unjust that happened a long time before Hosea was born. So God cares about justice. He cares about history. He cares about the present. He cares about the past. He cares about the future. God's outside of time. He sees it all. We can't escape him. Okay, so the third thing is the prophets and the New New Testament emphasize uh, the cosmic... um, what were the, t- I've got blanks there, Robbie. Finish those blanks. Uh, boy, I can't remember exactly. Uh, let's just finish it in any other way. Um, cosmic spiritual dimension. Thank you. That's probably it. That's close enough. When, when the son of God shows up in our humanity to liberate people from sin and guilt? Absolutely. And from a lot more than that? Uh Uh-huh. The demonic world goes crazy. There's more demonic activity in the gospels than any other part of the Bible. Why is that? Because a very holy person is there to bring redemption. There's an evil one who doesn't want to see people live in liberty. There's an evil one who wants everyone in bondage. So when God's son shows up in our humanity to liberate the poor, which is something he emphatically said he came to do, right? All hell breaks loose because hell wants everyone in bondage and heaven wants to set people free. Now, is that spiritual? Of course it is, but can it be reduced to individual spirituality? No, not in the Bible, not in the biblical story. It's much bigger and broader than that. Does that make sense? We all tracking? Okay, we got to stop. Don't forget what group you're in. You're in either group one, two, or three. Come next week. uh, I'm very glad that Ashley and Chrissy, I won't be here, but I'm sad that we won't be with you. And so come next week, John Fountain will lead you and you are going to report to your group and then someone will report to the whole group and, and we'll kick it off. We're learning together. This is the most passive you'll be. So just be ready for that. Come in active. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you gave yourself for us, that our debts are paid because you hung on the cross in our place. I pray that our joy and our salvation would increase. And along with that assurance of your forgiving grace, you would increase our motivation to see people experience forgiveness and to be set free from all kinds of things that cause them to suffer and bind them. Help us learn together. Help us all Stay together, learn together, grow in humility and learn from one another and especially learn from you and your word in Jesus' name, amen.